Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. This week's episode is another Bible study. We are nearing the end of the liturgical year, and so that means that we're coming to the end of spending a whole year in the Gospel of Mark. If you've been attending church on a Sunday morning at a mainline Protestant church, or a Catholic church for that matter, you have likely been hearing lots of readings from the Gospel of Mark. And what's interesting is on the last week in November, we will all shift to a new liturgical year, which means a new Gospel. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke for the whole year ahead, almost all of 2022, the gospel readings will come from Luke. So I thought it might be fun to do a Bible study and to talk a little bit about Luke's gospel, give you some details about what that makes that gospel unique, and then dive into a specific story that sort of highlights some of the unique characteristics that Luke brings to the table. So that's what we have today. Specifically, we'll be looking at a passage from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I hope this is interesting. I hope you enjoy it. I had a lot of fun putting it together. Here we go, a Bible study on Luke 18, 9 through 14. Okay, so here we are, a Bible study, an overview of Luke's gospel. Luke is the third gospel, as you might know, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is one of what they call the synoptic gospels, along with Matthew and Mark. And so these three gospels uh, tend to seem to follow maybe the same source in some ways. There's a lot of similarities between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially similarities between Luke and Matthew in terms of the stories they share in the structures. However, these Gospels are all unique in their own ways, and Luke in particular is very unique. If you look at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, it starts off by someone writing some sort of letter. And it's Luke saying, oh, most excellent Theophilus, I'm writing you this in orderly account of the events concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And that really is a perfect setup for what follows. Luke writes in a very orderly manner. It's believed that Luke was a physician, so he probably was pretty good at you know following directions and doing things the right way. You have to have a certain level of attention to detail to be a physician, even in those times. And so you got to think that, yeah, Luke really took this writing the gospel seriously. But he also, in terms of it being orderly, one of the unique pieces that Luke does that I love about Luke's gospel is he's constantly referencing well-known secular events. If you look at Luke chapter 2, which is where that's that famous Charlie Brown Christmas story, (laughs) Um, but Luke chapter 2 starts off in those days when Emperor Augustus was governor and you know, it lists off all of these public figures. And that's a real piece of what Luke is constantly trying to do, telling the story of Jesus in an orderly manner, but also making reference to other details of history that were going on at that time so that his listeners, his readers, can kind of date and understand like, oh, this event concerning Jesus happened while these people were in charge, while that census was being taken, kind of trying to help people connect the dots between their life and the life and story of Jesus. 
Additionally, it really seems like Luke doing this orderly account thing is trying to convince us, trying to help us make a good, logical conclusion that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah, Lord and Son of God. It certainly seems that Luke has like a, perva- or a, a persuasive bent to what he's trying to do. Um, the other cool thing about Luke that you might not know is Luke also wrote the book of Acts. In, sec- in fact, if you look at the book of Acts, it seems to be this sort of continuation of what Luke was saying. It's another reference to the, this most excellent Theophilus who Luke is writing to. Um, and so with that, there's a lot of parallels between the, the stories that Luke covers in the book of Acts. And then you kind of see some of those themes also coming out in the gospel of Luke. For example, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit in the birth of Jesus and when John baptizes Jesus. And of course, the Holy Spirit is such an important character in the book of Acts with that Pentecost story and the beginning of the early Christian church. So much of that is Holy Spirit inspired and Holy Spirit focused. And so then Luke draws a lot of those themes out and really gives you a sense of the Holy Spirit's presence in the entire Jesus story. You don't get that in all the other Gospels. That's a really unique Lukean feature. Um, Lukean? Lukean? I don't know the proper way to say that. Um, Another piece that also kind of shows this Acts connection. Throughout Luke's Gospel, Jesus seems to constantly be focused on extending his ministry to those who are beyond the Jewish areas. Luke has this real focus on outsiders. And that, of course, makes so much sense when you think about the book of Acts 2, which is about the Christian movement spreading to all the corners of the known world at that period of time. And then finally, there's a real focus on prayer in Luke's gospel. Jesus is constantly going away to pray. And of course, a key aspect of the early Christian church was this attention to prayer. You can read about it. Um, Luke or Acts chapter 2 verses 44 through 47 gives us this brief snapshot of what the early Christian church was like. It's a real focus on praying all the time. Um, finally, there's a focus of salvation that Jesus provides to the world. This is part of what Luke tries to bring about. Jesus is referred to as Lord, a title reserved for God in the Old Testaments. But in Luke's gospel, Jesus is actually, you know, used this honorific term. And again, we gloss over this stuff. We don't think about it, but that's a unique piece that Luke is bringing to the puzzle because Luke is trying to convince people through an orderly account that Jesus is the Lord and the Lord of everyone. Okay. Um, there is uh, kind of connected to all of that, as I've mentioned, th- this universal scope to the gospel of Luke as well. It's not just for one particular group because Luke is keenly aware that lots is going on in the world around him. We see that through all the details that he adds, all the history that he gives us, all the things that he points out. And so Luke is trying to make the point that, yeah, the, the salvation, the, the universal scope to Jesus's mission, Jesus is for everyone. And so Luke points out all the ways that the promises of Jesus apply to all people. What's fascinating about that, when you read the book of Acts, there are moments when it's written in the first person, when it's not saying like, 
the other disciples went to this town. It says, we went to this town because Luke likely was a traveling companion of some of the early Christians. That's maybe how he ended up with this job of writing down the gospel. And so you just think about a person who had this firsthand experience of seeing the gospel being spread in those early days and seeing the ways that the message of Jesus had a universal application. It wasn't just for Jerusalem. It was for all these different corners of the world because Luke was literally a part of some of those travels. And so that's also part of like how he tells the Jesus story is highlighting and drawing out an emphasis and a focus on the times and the ways that Jesus was extending his grace to those <laughs> who, who were often considered outcasts on the ways that Jesus's love was for everyone. Okay, so there's your Luke overview. And one of the things that I'll tell you as you can see, Luke is, is is the cuddly gospel. You know, it's this really like kind, compassionate Jesus who's extending love and grace to everyone. And, and and that's really it's really neat because the gospel of Matthew is kind of the opposite in a lot of ways. Matthew's Jesus tends to be a little more prickly. It tends to be Jesus really hammering home elements about the law and how important it is to maintain the laws of Moses. And so it's awesome that we get both of these pictures because likely, yeah, the answer is Jesus was both of these things. But so in the year ahead, we'll be reading from Luke's gospel and we'll get this really, yeah, kind, cuddly, gracious, universal Christ type of Jesus um, will be the main picture that draws out in the gospels. Um, the piece that I want to look at today it is a story from Luke's gospel now, Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. And it is going to have a couple of key Lukean features to it. Again, Lukean? Lukean? Um, and not only that, um, but it's going, it, it's a story that is only found in Luke's gospel. That was also part of what I was looking for here. It was not just one that highlights the, you know, the unique parts about Luke, but also something that is just, you know, really interesting in the, its uniqueness to that gospel. So if you got a Bible around, pull it out, get it ready. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. I am opening my Bible right as we speak so that we can read it. And we're going to just read it verse by verse like I've done in the past. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Okay, let's stop there. Luke is one of the gospels where we where Jesus shares a lot of parables, more parables in Luke's gospel than any of the other gospels. Probably all of the famous ones you're thinking of, those are in the gospel of Luke. Again, kind, cuddly, Jesus the storyteller. That's a part of what the picture that Luke gives us. Um, but what's interesting just about this verse, we're picking it up in the middle of a chapter, and I know that's a little weird. Trust me on this. It seems, if you kind of read it in context, at first that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here. And certainly, many of his critiques in all the Gospels are directed at that group, right? The Pharisees were the ones who really, you know, religious elites who loved the law and focused so much on doing religion the right way. Jesus is constantly critiquing them, being like, hey, you know, a relationship with God is about so much more than rules. 
And this can seem like it's another one of those scenarios. But it's likely that this parable was intended for an even wider audience. It's, it's just too direct for the parable about a Pharisee to be describing, a, to be offered to a Pharisee. What you'll see in this story, Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee. And, and so what scholars believe is that, yeah, you know what? I don't think Jesus would be that on the nose. Usually when he's telling a parable, it's to create some distance between the point he's trying to make and the people who are listening. Oftentimes, you know, we can come to insights when it's not just directly stated to us. Hey, you're doing a really bad job. You know, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to receive that. Jesus kind of knew that this is part of why he told parables and stories. And so he would help people come to these insights by telling them stories that were a little bit off, but allowed them to come to the same, the, the needed conclusion. Okay, another piece that I want to mention. Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus pays a lot of attention to righteousness and the pride that can come with righteousness. Some examples, Luke's gospel mentions Simeon and Elizabeth and Zechariah. All of these characters are held up as positive examples of true righteousness but there are numerous parables in Luke's gospel and, and sermons from Jesus even that critique people who have misplaced pride in their obedience to God's commandments. Again, it's that kind of classic Pharisee uh, anecdote, motif. That's the word I want to use. This classic Pharisee motif of people who care so much about the rules and doing religion right that they kind of miss the bigger point. It's not just about obedience to God's commands. There's also a truer righteousness that exists uh, of really having a relationship with God. Okay. Wow. We did all that on one verse. Isn't this fun? Let's continue. Verse 10. Jesus told them the story, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Okay, stop there. Going up to the temple is a literal occurrence. The temple at that time was up on a hill, and praying at a temple was a common motif actually all throughout Luke's gospel and in Acts. People are constantly going up the hill to the temple to pray. Matthew and Mark's gospel emphasize Galilee, but Luke emphasizes Jerusalem and the temple. That's just a really interesting point. Galilee tends to be the place of the common people. The temple tends to be the place of the religious elite. And so it's just interesting that this tends to be where a lot of Luke's focus is in the way that he writes and talks. And so since this particular moment is a parable, Jesus's choice of a Pharisee and a tax collector would be very clear and intentional. We're set up to expect good things from the Pharisee and bad behavior from the tax collector. This is how Jesus is choosing to tell the story. The Pharisee, the religious elite, was at the temple, and there was also a dirty, rotten tax collector. That's sort of the subtext to what Jesus is doing here. But Jesus is a good storyteller, so you know there's going to be a twist. All right, <laughs> moving on to verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves and rogues and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Okay, so in Jesus' story, 
There's a Pharisee who's standing by himself. He's separate from others. It's an intentional little detail. The word Pharisee also actually literally means set apart or separate. It was a group that thought of themselves as separate and set apart from others. And as we'll see in this parable, the need to separate oneself from others is part of the critique that Jesus is trying to get to with this parable. We're all in this together, bro. That's what Jesus is getting at. But, you know, we have folks who want to separate themselves, who want to feel better. And just how crazy is it that the Pharisee is literally thanking God that he's not a sinner? He lists all of these people, right? And and it's just a symbolic list, uh, frankly, of known sinners. You know, the, the, the usual suspects, thieves, rogues, adulterers, tax collectors. And the last person on that list is the tax collector, showing that the Pharisee is very aware of the tax collector's presence in the room with him, in the temple with him. But the Pharisee is clearly separate, set apart, not connected to the tax collector at all. He just has contempt for this individual. Okay, looking now ahead to verse 12. The Pharisee continues with his self-righteous prayer. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Notice that the Pharisee's prayer, (laughs) he's asking nothing of God. What a weird prayer. Can you imagine if I prayed like this before a church meeting? It's just, I don't know. But of course, it's part of the point. It's very hyperbolic in the way that Jesus is telling the story. So the Pharisee asks nothing of God. He just assumes that because he's going through the correct motions, that he's somehow not a sinner. This is a common theme actually throughout the Old Testament. God is constantly talking about how God doesn't care for our sacrifices or our meaningless worship. God cares about the position of our hearts. Hosea 6.6 is a really succinct place where you can see God saying exactly that. I despise your festivals and your worship. I desire mercy. That seems to just be the constant theme of what God is trying to get at. Like, don't get caught in the details. Don't get caught trying to do all of the right, you know, do it all the right religious way. Having a life of faith is about so much more than just following a list of rules. And this parable that Jesus is telling is such a beautiful example of that. You know, this uh, hyperbolic portrayal of a Pharisee kind of saying a prayer, right? Like, you're supposed to pray, I know that, but like, what a ridiculous prayer. All right, let's keep going. Verse 13, because now we get to hear what the tax collector is doing. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector doesn't boast at all before God. His statement is simply, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what's really cool is that that phrase is actually part of one of the earliest Christian hymns. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's called the Jesus Prayer. It's it's well known as one of the earliest Christian hymns. And so you wonder if maybe is this parable where they got it from or, or had Luke heard and been exposed to that Jesus Prayer, that hymn 
as he was a part of the early Christian community. And so then he includes that as a detail of this story later on. We don't exactly know how all the pieces fit together, but it's just such a cool connection that I wanted to draw it out for us um, as we think about all of it. Let's keep going. Verse 14. This is now Jesus kind of concluding the parable. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus' main concluding point, trusting in yourself will not justify you. The mighty are cast down and the lowly are lifted up. This is a huge theme in Luke's gospel. The mighty are cast down, the lowly are lifted up. That's a literal phrase in Mary's song, the Magnificat, which of course is from Luke's gospel. I should mention that's the second time I've talked about a song being a part. That's another huge piece that Luke brings out throughout. He's constantly dropping in lines of hymns, songs, poems, likely because those songs, those poems were a part of the early Christian worship. And Luke was, as we've covered many times already, an active part of the early Christian church. So he sang some of these hymns on Sundays and then included them within the story. Mary's song, the Magnificat, only found in Luke. This Jesus prayer, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. We see it here in this parable. There's the song of Simeon also in Luke's gospel. You get the idea. It's a neat piece just to think about the connections of Luke participating in an early church community and then kind of highlighting the the pieces of that, the history of that from the Jesus story that he had been directly opposed to. So, kind of to tie a bow on all of this. This story exemplifies many Lucan themes. Luke addresses again and again the assumptions that the religious insiders have some sort of direct line to God. It's clear throughout Luke, and in this parable in particular, that Jesus came for everyone. No one has a direct line to God any more than the other person. Keep in mind that Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul, one of the great heroes of the early Christian church. And so he was steeped, as we've kind of said, in evangelism and the global efforts of the early Christian church. That's why he draws this out so much. The other point that Jesus is making with this parable is about the ways that the Pharisees separates himself from the tax collector. His contempt for the tax collector, the Pharisees' contempt for the tax collector, is part of why he can't be justified. We are forgiven as we forgive. That's a statement from Luke's gospel. That's a big part of what Luke highlights in many places. Only the merciful can receive mercy. And it's just this, you know, this whole piece about the position of our hearts. Where are we focusing? What are we caring about? And if we're just in it for our own ego, for our own self-righteousness, that's what Jesus is going to call out. And it's part of what Luke's Jesus calls out again and again. In particular, if you look at Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 38, that's also where we kind of see this idea, we are forgiven as we forgive. This is a theme in a lot of Luke's parables too, the characters 
come across as, you know, where is the position of their heart? You think about the parable of the prodigal son, which is only found in Luke's gospel. And you get this great picture of the father's willingness to forgive the wayward son and the son's willingness to admit that he made a mistake and ask for forgiveness. Beautiful example. But then you also get the older brother who can't wrap his mind around the graciousness of the father, the older brother who missed out on the party and the welcome home celebration for his younger brother because he's too bitter about what's gone on. This whole idea, where is your heart at? That's the question that the Jesus we find in Luke's gospel is constantly asking us. So anyways, there you go. There's some information on Luke. There's a cool little parable from Luke's gospel and some good things for us to be thinking about this year and every year. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you're excited for a whole bunch of cuddly stories from Jesus and the gospel of Luke and this ongoing question. What is the, where, where's your heart at? What is your faith about? Are you just doing this in order to seem like you've got it all right so that you can stand up and pray a prayer and say, thanks, God, that I'm not like other crappy people? Or is this about having a real relationship with God, recognizing that we all need help and redirection and forgiveness and mercy, and then also having the courage to extend that to other people? This is the question that Luke's gospel is going to ask us again and again. Of course, this is a question that rests deeply in God's heart and God's hope for our lives. Friends, it's always fun to study the Bible together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Stay in peace.